This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hello, this is the Webbox Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. Coming up on today's episode, it's PMQ's Unpacked. Patrick Maguire and I pause the action as Liz Truss tries to fight for her survival. Will Keir Starmer be funny? And how many more impressions will Patrick Maguire do? Uh, you'll find out in just a moment. Uh, before that, we'll have the Economist panel. But first, another Tory MP has called for the Prime Minister to go. This is what happened when I chatted to the Tory MP, Steve Dobble. Uh, should pensions rise in line with this uh, 10.1% inflation? Uh, yes, they should. Um, as a party, we promised that we would do this. Uh, we would keep the triple lock. Uh, I think most people understand the very particular reasons why last year um, that wasn't possible to do. But we made a commitment then that this this year, the following year, it would. And um, the Prime Minister, in her leadership election campaign, made a very clear and direct promise that she would retain the triple lock. So I think we need to keep our promises and ensure prices uh, if pensions do rise in line with prices. I don't mean to be rude, Steve, but you're not being a bit old-fashioned uh, asking the Prime Minister to stick to a promise she made in her leadership campaign. Well, it, it, it you know, it's something that I think we, we should expect her to do when she so clearly made this commitment in her leadership campaign. But it's also the right thing to do. I, I don't think it's right that we balance the books uh, to get out of the situation that uh, we find ourselves in off the back of those who uh, need our support most during these really challenging times. And crucially, pensioners don't have, I mean, you know, there have been various daft comments by ministers about go and get a better job or whatever, but pensions, pensioners on a fixed income don't have the same ability to, to react to the fact that the, the, the everyday cost of living have gone up. That's absolutely right. There are millions of pensioners across the country and indeed in constituencies like mine that rely absolutely on the state pension for their livelihoods. They don't have the means of generating extra income. They're on this fixed uh, pension as their uh, only or main income. Um, And it's right that we protect them through the challenging months that are coming to make sure that they can continue to, uh, to, to afford to live. I mean, clearly these, these figures are reflecting what was happening in September, Steve. I don't know if you saw it last night. There was an extraordinary report on uh, ITV News speaking to people in South Shields, including one pensioner who's seen the cost of everything go up, described uh, making toast as a luxury and stopped using a toaster because you couldn't afford to, to turn it on. 
how does that make you feel as a Conservative MP with a Conservative government that in 2022 a pensioner can't afford to use her toaster? Well, I absolutely understand that these are very worrying times for many people. Um, that they see the, the the figures, they see inflation, they see for themselves their energy uh, prices going up, the cost of food is going up, the overall cost of living is going up, and they're very worried, and 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 that sometimes leads them to to take um, you know fairly dramatic actions in order to preserve um, you know their 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 budget and make sure that they can afford to heat their homes, and and I think it, it's wrong that we should not be giving. Uh, people in that situation, the the increase in their pension that we promised them to give them that that sense of reassurance that we are there to support them and that we will make sure that they get the increase in their pension they deserve so that they can afford uh, to pay their bills. Obviously, pensions are only a part of the welfare state. Other people, including Paddy Morton, uh, the uh, Commons leader, was on this programme a couple of weeks ago saying that, that benefits in general should rise in line with inflation, a promise made by... Uh, Boris Johnson when he was Prime Minister. Do you think uh, Liz Truss should abide by that promise as well? Absolutely. It was a promise that we made uh, to uh, everyone on benefits. And as I said before, the same applies to people on universal credit and other uh, other uh, benefits uh, as to pensioners, that you know they, they rely on these uh, benefits to live. And we should not be balancing the books for the situation that we now find ourselves in off the backs of those who need that support the most. And I I think it's absolutely the right thing to do that we uh, stick to our promise to all those on benefits and increase uh, benefits in line with prices. Uh, Just finally, Steve, uh, an extraordinary PMQ is coming up today where Liz Truss is going to try and argue the exact opposite of what she was saying uh, last week on several fronts. Uh, some of your colleagues already said that she should resign. Others have said she's in the, the last chance saloon. What's your position? How long has Liz Truss got? Do you think that she should stand out? I think her position is becoming increasingly untenable. We've seen a complete reversal of just about everything she stood for in her leadership election campaign. I think many of us are asking exactly what does Liz Truss now believe and stand for because she seems to have abandoned virtually everything that she told us she was about. Um, I think she is absolutely in the last chance saloon. I, I think uh, the more time that goes on, uh, the more difficult it is it is to see her surviving this. Have you put in a letter to the 922 committee? Are you? I'm just going to work out. Are you? Are you? Are we? Are we at now at number six in terms of Conservative MPs calling for her to go? Uh, I, I've always said that communication between me and Sir Graham Brady is a matter for the two of us. Um, but I, I, as I said, I, I think it's becoming abundantly clear. Uh, when you look at the loss of confidence in her as prime minister from the general public and increasingly, I think, the loss of confidence uh, in her from the parliamentary party, um, that, you know, we are going to get to the point where uh, she really does have to consider a position and, and, and for the good of the country, step aside. Um, and I think we will probably come to that place quite soon. Steve Double there. Now then, it's time for this. The Columnists with Alibert. Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton on Times Radio. Yes, we are joined in the studio by Robert Crampton. Morning, Robert. Hi, Matt. And Alice Thompson's beaming in. Morning, Alice. Morning, Matt. So, big moment for Keir Starmer. Uh, I think he should open with... um, uh, Sorry, I thought it was Prime Minister's questions. Who are you? (laughs) (laughs) Robert, any ideas? Well, just from from his own selfish point of view, if not the country's, he should just say, you know, make yourself comfortable, stay as long as you like. That's not really a question, but... 
you can frame it as a question. Because, I mean, it's... I mean, that does, that does suit Keir Starmer, yeah. I suppose, doesn't it? Uh, what about you, Alice? I know I would say, are you okay? No, really, mm. you look absolutely shell-shocked. Are you all right? Is there anything we can do to help? You know, just make it very clear that she does look completely out of her depth now. And go, you know, the country's plunged into disarray, inflation in double figures. You know, what, almost do it in sort of more in sorrow than anger. Yeah, it's a sort of, human you know, tragedy. It, yeah. It, this is a total, you know, we are watching a tragedy unfold. That, and actually try and be quite sort of kind to her because... Really now, she looks so stunned by the whole process. It's so clear that she is going to go, that maybe yeah. kindness is a better weapon. I think that would come across as condescending, though, wouldn't it? I'm afraid. I don't know. I it mean, depends how you say it, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> Talking of things, it depends how you say it. Let's t- cause we'll, we'll, we'll obviously have PMQs in a, in a little bit. Let's talk about protesters. Uh, these people who've glued themselves to the bridge up the river. Mm. They're still there? I think so. Mm, quite good. Yeah. Uh, uh, this is what the Home Secretary Swella Barfman said about them in the Commons yesterday. So yes, I'm afraid, Madam Deputy Speaker, it's the Labour Party, it's the Lib Dems, it's the Coalition of Chaos, it's the Guardian reading, to- tofu-eating, wokarati, dare I say, the anti-growth coalition that we have to thank for the disruption that we are seeing on our roads today. Do you eat tofu, Robert? Uh, yeah, I have been known. I mean, there's so, I mean it's, they're so out of touch on this. I was just thinking about my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law lives on the outskirts of Hull. He's got an impeccable Yorkshire accent and he runs a garage. I think, it, I'm pretty sure he votes Conservative. Uh, and he eats tofu. I mean, they're well out of date. <laughs> they're well out of date. This is ridiculous to I mean, say. I, don't like, I mean, the one thing I, I agree don't particularly with like it. I don't like it. No, I don't particularly like it. But uh, the idea that it's... It's a sign of something. Yes, yeah, it doesn't yeah. signify well, it's anything anymore. It's sign of being anymore. anti-growth, isn't it? I mean, that's the problem. I think Suella's yeah. just trying to sound worse than Pretty Patel. It's quite difficult. Yeah, I don't know what she's trying to like harsh try, act. Try and then so... this was, uh, just to add to the sense of what on earth they talked about, this is what J- this is James Cleverly, the actual Foreign Secretary, talking about these protesters. <laughs> just stick an answer with us, Molly. I'm seeing people who are disrupting the lives of others. When people pour milk all over the floor of a shop, guess who, guess who has to clear it up? It's, it's hard-working people, often not very, very well-paid. When people deface, vandalise, and it is vandalism, uh, uh, incredibly significant cultural works of art mm. and businesses and mm. public property, um, if they weren't, uh, and I have to say, you know, attention-seeking you know, middle-class people, I think the condemnation would be, a, would, you know, the general condemnation would be a lot harder. If these were working-class boys... As I say, black boys from Lewisham or working class boys from from you know Wolverhampton. I think that it would be treated as criminality and nothing more. Um, and I think that giving giving this kind of behaviour some kind of implicit acceptance because of who's conducting it, I think is completely inappropriate. We should see it for what it is. This is criminal damage, okay. and that's how it should be treated. It's middle class people. Mm. They're the problem. Well, I think the thing you look yeah. at most, you think, is, is cleverly compared to Suella, that actually yeah. he sounds quite sane and rational. And it's actually quite a good argument, to be honest, to say, you know, think of what, you know, who these people are and who's going to have to clean up after them and they've got to grow up and we're the grown-ups here. Whereas Suella sounds like she's just point scoring and it's just amusing and entertaining and something that actually is disrupting people's lives. It's a joke to her in the comments. So, so oddly, I think actually cleverly shows that you can have a proper serious take on this. It's just that she doesn't, that she, she makes us sort of sneering nasty and, and that's the nasty part of it that no one wants. There is a, I suppose there is a, there is a, there's a challenge, isn't there, about how do you make an impact so yes. that people notice your campaign but you don't lose support 
by being stupid. Yeah, I mean, I remember Extinction Rebellion when they they blocked uh, London Bridge just just uh, over there from where we're sitting. And I, the first time they did it, I remember talking to some commuters who were inconvenienced by it, and they were enormously supportive of the aims of Extinction Rebellion. It was a period when the environment was very high on the agenda, and they they I think hemorrhaged public support by the fact by the way that they campaigned just like insulate Britain. I mean, there's nothing more really sort of mainstream than putting a bit of insulation in your loft. But they managed to offend, they managed to turn it into something that annoyed people by yeah. bugging up the M25. And these people are in danger of doing the same thing. I do think Cleverly's got a point. I agree with Alice, actually. I think back to my own youth on a, in a middle-class affluent suburb. And I think some of the things that me and my friends got up to then, had we done them on a, a council estate in Lewisham as, or Wolverhampton or whatever as he suggests, then yeah, we might have been uh, of interest to the criminal justice system. And once that happens, once you're, in, once, you, once you're involved in it, at the age of 14, 15, 16, it's quite hard to get out of it. So I think he's got a, he, he does have a, a point about that. Yeah. Actually, actually, you're right. If, if, if a uh, group of black boys who mm. went, went to the National Gallery and threw soup over the yes. pages in protest of the fact that where they live is crap, yes. then that's, you know, they would have had a completely different reaction. Yes, Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think he's got. I think he's got a point. I mean, I, it's a bit silly to say, "Oh, these people are all." I mean, he doesn't know the class backgrounds of no. these people who are going up the. Uh, or, or, and, and, and in the and sense, it's not particularly fundamentally. Re- they're trying to dismiss concern about the environment and climate yeah. change. They're playing sort of the man rather than the ball. Session, they? Session, yeah, they're playing yeah. the man rather than the ball. Like the tofu eating thing is know, really weak. I think. Sorry, Alice. Um, I was going to say, I, I mean, I think that, that, that they are, quite a lot of them are middle class, because I think mm. you need to be middle class to have that kind of confidence that they, they have, that they're not going to be arrested in the same sort mm. of way. They're not going to be treated badly. So when they're chucking soup, they're not terrified. They think it's quite funny. And I, I think that's what comes across, is that these people have the confidence to do this, whereas I think, you know, a lot of people wouldn't. I think they think they are going to get away with it. And I think that's the, that's the unpleasant side. They don't actually think about the consequences in that way. Well, I, I mean, I was involved with, with, with left-wing uh, sort of extra-parliamentary politics in the early 80s. And most of the people, I was middle class, but most of the people involved with me weren't. They were, they were, they were yeah. working-class kids. Yeah. Because they had most to gain. And, uh, I, and, I, and so the, the idea that all environmental activists or all, you know, just because it's a kind of uh, uh, that uh, so-called middle-class issue, the idea that they're all uh, middle-class and eat tofu is it's just nonsense. I mean, it's, it's, it's also patronising to the yeah, working yeah, yeah. class. Cause but also, the, and everything... The, the working class people eat tofu as well yeah. and are concerned about the environment. And actually, because this is the case with all things... Uh, poorer people will, will suffer more. They yes. won't be able to afford aircon. Yes. Uh, they won't be able to afford rising yes. food prices. Like, that is a... But, however, his point about who cleans yeah. up the pint of milk is yeah. a good one. It's yeah, a good I mean, one the, main, the main answer is stop pouring milk on the floor. Yeah, don't do that, because yeah. that's just, that's just poor, poor behaviour. Um, so it's bad here. Is it bad in France, Robert? <laughs> well, I wrote that, I and mean, it's not as bad politically. I mean, Macron has just been re-elected. He should be fairly safe. Uh, but and socially uh, and, and industrially, economically, it's not good at all. Oh, yeah, we're off to France. Oh, here we go. Lower, lower. Yes, <laughs> plenty of that. Yeah. Oh, that takes me back. That's, they play that all the time. <laughs> yes. Yes. When they, they're just cycling around with their stripy tops on. Showing the onions. And the onions, the berets. Probably can't afford onions now. No, uh, and they've run out of mustard. Although I had reader tells me that the mustard shortage is abating. Thank goodness. Oh, thank goodness. Uh, but yeah, they've got strikes at three uh, uh, at oil refineries, which is uh, uh, causing petrol shortages in the north of France. They've got a potential problem with their nuclear power industry because they might not be able to get the uranium 
anymore if this rebellion oh, spreads yeah, into yeah. Ne- the 40% of their uranium from Niger, which is now uh, threatened by rebellion. Yeah. And 75% of their electricity is nuclear. Yeah. So they've got a problem there potentially. And, you know, the gilets jaunes that are simmering, uh, you know, they want to protect their fantastic working, you know, the French opted for the 35-hour week and the two-hour lunch break and all the rest of it. And obviously they want to keep, they want to, vested interests want to keep that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's not like it is here. It's not a joke like it is here. But it's but still it's, serious it's still stuff. serious and all those supply-side problems, which, I mean, they're, they're, they're Europe-wide, worldwide. Yeah. And inflation and all the rest of it. And it's true, actually, isn't it? Um, a couple of weeks ago, we did a thing. We sort of went around the world to, to take a look at the fact that lots of other countries have had loads of loads, loads of prime ministers, uh, and politics yeah. are sort of being turned on its head. It's slightly what happens when the economy goes mad; politics goes mad too. Well, I think Germany's particularly bad as well because they've also got the fact that they're split over Russia. So at least actually, we yeah. agree on Ukraine. They've got. I mean, most of Europe have got issues. You've just changed um, government in Italy. I, th- I think that's the problem: is we've become very myopic, and, and the British are very bad at once things are going wrong thinking, oh, my God, we're all terrible, we're dreadful, we're, we're really good at beating ourselves up mm, yeah. um, in the same ways that we kind of big ourselves up at other times. Um, and I think actually it's probably, you know, we're not the worst, we're pretty bad at the moment. But I think there, there is a sense of, of um, also schadenfreude from other countries mm. who are making themselves feel better. So you look at the other the press around the world and it makes Britain sound like a basket case, but that is partly because <laughs> they're having quite a bad time. And if I was any other country, I'd be going, well, you know, we think we're bad, but look at Britain. And also, as yeah. ever, we don't. The, the, our extremes are not particularly extreme. If if, if the extreme is somebody gluing themselves to a bridge or uh, or proposing a, 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 a batty economic policy, then that's not too bad. If you're thinking about when you look at genuine extremes, like you, like Hungary, uh, Swedes have just taken a turn to the right. I think uh, these there's you know there's. There's, there's seriously right-wing slash fascist parties doing quite well in continental yeah, Europe. Yeah, 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 that's true. And, you know, mercifully, we as ever, we haven't really got that here. We've yeah. just got utter, utter incompetence. <laughs> which is better. <laughs> which is, which which is, is better. Much better. Because we can sort that. We can sort that. Yeah, yeah. Robert Crampton and Alice Thompson, then, of course, you can read them both in The Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash timesredbox. Up next is PMQ's Unpacked. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Redbox Podcast now. It's time for this. PMQs unpacked on Times Radio, unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. Order, order. I call Matt Chorley and Patrick Maguire. And a very good afternoon to you. Welcome if you're listening along on Times Radio, on your radio, on your smart speaker, on your Times Radio app, or watching along on the Times Radio YouTube channel. Patrick Maguire, Times Red Box editor, is here. Patrick, what news? What news? Well, I can tell you what Keir Starmer is going to ask. Oh, well, that's a start. I can. Well, we didn't bother listening then. Well, well, exactly. Go on, then. Such are my connections to the heart of the Labour Party, as, as you well know. I'm told Keir Starmer, unsurprisingly, is going to focus on the real-world impact of the past week in Westminster. And interestingly, I think we're going to hear an apology of sorts from Liz Truss early on, or perhaps she will restate the apology she gave at the end of last week. Labour's view, Keir Starmer's view, is that that was a big mistake. Because if you listen to Liz Truss's defence for the economic turmoil, it's always somebody else's fault is how Labour sit. You know, it's the fault of the war in Ukraine. It's the fault of the bond markets. It's not her fault. They think by apologising, she has accepted her responsibility and leaves herself wide open to the sort of attack we're going to hear from Keir Starmer today. Well, before and usually before we even get to Keir Starmer, let's take the very first question. This was from the Labour MP, Justin Matters. Let's go to the comments. Thank you, Mr Speaker. When the penny dropped for the Prime Minister on Monday and she realised that her budget was responsible for crashing the economy, she should have come to this House to explain herself and to apologise to the millions of people who will now be paying hundreds of pounds extra a month on their mortgages because of her mistakes. But now she's here. Can she tell us, given the absolute chaos her government has created, why the Chancellor lost his job but she kept hers? Mr Speaker, I have been very clear that I am Mr Speaker that I am and that I have made mistakes. But the right thing to do in those circumstances is to make changes which I've made and to get on with the job and deliver for the British people. And Mr Speaker, we've delivered the energy price guarantee, we've helped people this winter, and I will continue to do that. I mean, just a sign of uh, things to come there. Uh, a joke about when the penny dropped, clearly Penny Mordaunt was Penny the... with a capital P there from Justin Mathers. Yeah, Penny Mordaunt uh, stood in for the Prime Minister on Monday, uh, where she delivered the immortal line, the Prime Minister is not hiding under a desk. Uh, yes, she did, and... Uh, this is the first time the Prime Minister has had a proper appearance in front of the Commons or indeed in front of everybody uh, since Penny Morden auditioned so adeptly for her job on Monday. And that, as you say, gives us a flavour of things to come, which is yeah, a bit of contrition, but mostly defiance. And I think you can hear from the muted response. I wouldn't go as, quite as far as say it was completely mute. You did hear some supportive cheers there, but it's much quieter than Liz Truss would like at this juncture. Uh, so I think we're not going to have a particularly illuminating exchange between her and Keir Starmer, but let's see. 
Uh, well, lots of you. Uh, Sam says PMQ's locked in on the Times Radio YouTube channel. This is going to be a hell of a ride. Benjamin says if you're into politics and who isn't right now, pop over to the Times Radio live YouTube channel. Uh, somebody else says Penny Morden looks like a bulldog licking something else off a thistle. Last week it was a wasp. Uh, something I can't see on the radio now. Uh, right, here That's we go. A very then. vivid image. A very vivid image. Right, here we go then. This is PMQ's Unpacked, as we've probably never seen it before. Uh, this is Keir Starmer's question number one to Liz Truss. Thank you, Mr Speaker. A book is being written about the Prime Minister's time in office. <laughs> Apparently it's going to be out by Christmas. Is that the release date or the title? Prime Minister. Well, Mr Speaker... That's quite a good gag. That's quite a good gag. I have been in office for just under two months and I have delivered the energy price guarantee making sure that people are paying £6,000 bills this winter. I've reversed the national insurance increase and I've also taken steps and we will be taking steps to crack down on the militant unions. Now what, what Mr Speaker, I think, Mr Speaker, that is more of a record of action than the honourable gentleman in his two and a half years in the job. What was interesting about that answer, Matt, if you allow me to jump in first? Please do. Last week, again and again and again, she spoke about how she protected people from massive energy bills for two years. Two years, yes. One of Jeremy Hunt's first acts as Chancellor was to come in and say, well, listen, that's a huge amount to borrow. The markets clearly aren't happy with that. Let's reduce it to six months, which was the Labour Party's original plan. And that's with the stick with which Liz Truss was beating Keir Starmer Throughout and Rachel Reeves. Throughout last week, she kept saying, you did six months, you wanted six months. How irresponsible, yeah, she yeah. was saying. And now she's still taking credit for a scheme in its moderated form, in its truncated form, two weeks ago she was saying was the height of irresponsibility. So, yeah. It's a, yeah. And her challenge to Keir Starmer, this is what I've done in two months. Uh, her, you know, what have you done in two and a half years of the job? But he's not crashed the pound. Or, you know, and he's he's got his party 30-odd points ahead of the polls. I, I, I hear, by the way, on that, that biography of Liz Truss by uh, Sun Political Editor Harry Cole and uh, Spectator Diary Editor James Heal that it is finished. Oh, right. It is finished as of yesterday, I believe. The book is finished. Yes, and it's uh, it's off to the printers. So, what are they going to do about what may or may not happen in the coming? Well, is it going to be think, like a collected in parts? I think like it's, one of those sort of put well, like together a Victorian what, serial. Yeah, no, yeah. I think it's clear all those that, things when you'd like put together a dinosaur made out of wood. You'd like collect, you know, like one of those magazines. The first issue was ninety nine p, and yes, then you're exactly. paying a tenner for the component parts of a model Morris Minor. Well, I was burnt <laughs> many times on that as a child. I'm afraid that's inflation for you. <laughs> Who knows how much it will be by the time you're putting the steering wheel on it, Christmas? Uh, right then, let's go back to the House of Commons. Uh, this is question number two from Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, last week the Prime Minister ignored every question put to her. Instead, she repeatedly criticised Labour's plan for a six-month freeze on energy bills. This week, the Chancellor made it her policy. How can she be held to account when she's not in charge? Mr Speaker, our policy is to protect the most vulnerable for two years. That wasn't the policy last week. I had to week. take the decision, because of the economic situation, to adjust our policies. I am somebody who's prepared to front up. I'm prepared to take the tough decisions. Unlike the Honourable Gentleman, who hasn't done anything on businesses, he's done nothing to say he'll protect people after one year, he's got no plan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Note there, Liz Truss said, I, and emphasised it in a very pantomime way, I took the decision oh, took when the everybody decision. knows it was Jeremy Hunt. And Jeremy Hunt there was sort of smirking knowingly as she claimed credit for decisions she was basically forced to take at gunpoint. Well, we shouldn't... Um, let's not overlook the absurdity of the Prime Minister turning up a week after she exa- argued the exact opposite and accused Keir Starmer of having no plan. Yeah. When her plan is Keir Starmer's plan. Yeah, and it's not even her plan. It's Jeremy Hunt's Jeremy plan. Jeremy Hunt's plan. I mean, it's extraordinary. Do let us know what you think about it. Text 8722, start your message of the word Times. You can tweet using the hashtag Times Radio. Get on the Times Radio YouTube channel. Uh, loads of you are saying uh, she didn't take the decision, though. The backbench are so quiet and nervy looking, so tired of hearing about the militant unions. If we had a general election, he could show her what he'll do. I mean, she does look really rattled. I mean, that's, you know, that's the general mood. If you want to, if you want to put the counter, if, you want to, if, you're, if you're a Liz Trust supporter, do get in touch. And we'll stage an intervention or something. Uh, this is Matt Jolly on Times Radio bringing you PMQs Unpacked. We go back to the House of Commons. It's question number three from Keir Starmer. Starmer. Mr Speaker, last week the Prime Minister stood there and promised absolutely no spending reductions. They all cheered. This week, the Chancellor announced a new wave of cuts. What's the point of a Prime Minister whose promises don't even last a week? Well, I can assure the Right Honourable Gentleman that spending will go up next year and it will go up the year after. But, of course, we need to get value for taxpayers' money. The Labour Party has pledged hundreds of billions of spending pledges, none of which they've retracted. The Honourable Gentleman needs to reflect the economic reality in his policies. (laughs) (laughs) The Labour Party needs to reflect the economic reality of their policies. When um, the the mess that she's in is that she did not reflect the economic realities of her policies. Mm. I know I shouldn't laugh. We're supposed to be... Look, look, look. If if you want someone to play devil's advocate for 15 seconds... Liz Truss, and I suspect the next Tory leader, will have a point when they say the Labour Party hasn't quite yet decided whether it's going to adopt the Conservatives' fiscal positions, or rather Jeremy Hunt's straightened fiscal positions, going to the next election. Just look at Jonathan Reynolds, uh, the Shadow Business Secretary this morning, saying they were going to keep the triple lock. Lisa Nandy on this station saying they weren't going to keep the triple lock. You know, there are still unanswered questions here for Labour, but Liz Truss has made such a hash of this that actually no one's interested in asking them out there in the country, if you look at the polls, because uh, she has played this so ridiculously badly. It's interesting. So uh, Matt's just posted a comment on the YouTube channel. A normal person would be too embarrassed to say the things that Trust says. I mean, they've clearly made a decision, double down, uh, just front it out. Don't, you know, the contrition was very short-lived. Now trying to claim that she's got a coherence serious economic plan and the Labour Party don't. Yeah, and look, if you speak to people in number 10, they will say, well, the ones who are still willing to speak to journalists and the ones who, uh, um, you know, haven't lost the will to live, they say, well, actually, Liz Truss is pretty bullish right now because the markets have calmed down. She's got a Chancellor who commands a degree of support among her natural opponents in the party. It split the constituency of MPs who would want to get rid of her. They want to give Jeremy Hunt time. And also there is no obvious candidate to succeed her. And there's, a, there's definitely a consensus that to do it before the fiscal statement on Halloween will be too soon. So I think that reflects a genuine sense yeah. of optimism on Liz Truss's part, as crazy as it might seem to viewers and listeners at home. 
And actually, you, you, you're completely right. I mean, we had what Steve Double was on the show an hour ago telling us that he thought her position was untenable, but he's still only number six out of 300 and however many of them are, there are uh, left right now. And because they can't agree on a replacement, she'll survive, you know, in the same way that each day Theresa May got up with the aim of getting to the end of the day and she went on for two years. Yeah. And, you know, Liz Truss, it's already lunchtime. Uh, somebody says on the text that Starmer is coming across as a bully, needs to make it less personal. And then C in Belfast says, is it possible to die from secondhand embarrassment? I can't honestly believe, she can't honestly believe what she's saying. Uh, lots of <laughs> Ella says, it's my birthday today. Liz Truss leaving me speechless. Never happened to me in my 69 years. Best live comedy, thanks for the entertainment. Ella from Leeds. Ella from a Leeds. fellow uh, there we are. Leah Denzian, like Liz Truss. Yeah. Is that what they are? Leah Denzian. Yeah, yeah. Or Loina, if you want to go a little bit more old school. That's what Alan Bennett would say. <laughs> of course you've got a reference to Alan Bennett as well. As what it's was been it? another terrible day for Liz Truss at the Covens. <laughs> anyway, enough of that. Only thing on time's video. Right, here we go. Uh, so, what, question number four from Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, those spending cuts are on the table for one reason and one reason only, because they crashed the economy. <laughs> Working, working people, working people are going to have to pay 500 quid more a month on their mortgages. And what's the Prime Minister's response to say she's sorry? What does she think people will think and say? That's all right, I don't mind financial ruin, at least she apologised. Prime Minister. I do think there has to be some reflection of economic reality from the part of the Interest rates, interest rates are rising across the world and the economic conditions have worsened. And we are being honest, we're levelling with the public, unlike the honourable gentleman who simply won't do it. And what is the honourable gentleman doing about the fact that workers, train workers, are again going on strike? The fact is he refuses to condemn the workers. We are bringing forward policies. Mr Speaker, we are bringing forward policies that are going to make sure our railways are protected, people going to work are protected. He backs the strikers, we back the strivers. Oh dear. Uh, strikers and strivers. Who, somebody else has done that before. Was it a George Osborne thing? Anyway. Shirkers and strivers. Shirkers, yeah, anyway. Um, was the Osborne question. Here's a question, Patrick McGuire. Mm. Is Keir Starmer capitalising on this extraordinary moment thus far? Well, look, if you look at all the available data, i.e. the biggest set of polling leads since uh, 1997, yes. The mood of the House, the mood of the Labour Party, look, it seems uh, incontrovertibly chipper. But... Are we going to come away from this thinking he's really undermined Liz Truss fatally? It's a live question. She's been much more uh, bullish and confident than you would perhaps expect a prime minister in a position to be. And it comes back to that sense of optimism inside the number 10 bunker. And I think she's looking at the MPs behind her saying, well, look, I'm showing you that for now, at least I'm the only show in town. And to be fair to her, I think she's exceeding very low expectations in terms of the quality of her 
of her oratory today, as much as that is a very low bar. And clearly, what was that? That was what, question number four. Uh, there's a couple more to go yet. And Keir Starmer sort of needs the moment, which is going to go via every person who isn't even into politics says, yes, he's finally captured how I feel and all the manners of the last few weeks, and he's the man we want for the job. Yeah, exactly. But also the problem for Keir Starmer is, as much as, again, it, it feels almost ridiculous raising some of these points or saying Liz Truss has a point when she talks about Labour's fiscal black hole or, you know, she's asking him to condemn public sector strikes because ultimately um, the Tories have bigger questions to answer on those two things because they are in government and they are in charge of this uh, fiscal mess. But they are questions the Labour Party will have to answer at some point. Um, And perhaps this combination of Keir Starmer, while this is, you know, a bravura performance from Keir Starmer, I think it's one of his better parliamentary performances. And, you know, he's got a massive polling lead. Truss is sort of tugging at strings that a better leader, a more accomplished Tory leader, when they come, might be able to uh, exploit to uh, greater ends. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's, it's an interesting question about Labour's economic policy. I'm just not entirely sure she's necessarily the right the person, person to be posing well, no, it. And, and right now, yeah. um, it's a second order issue, I'm afraid. Uh, someone's uh, loads of you got in touch today. Brilliant radio. Someone else says uh, REPMQs after listening to Dumb and Dumber. You choose which way. Rat. I thought he was talking about us. I thought he was talking about us. I've come to the conclusion that both parties are irredeemably crap, and we need something. Oh, well, it's not us. It's not us. He's talking about the two in the comments. Uh, let's go back to the comments uh, right now. Then uh, question number five from Keir Starmer on Times Radio. Mr. Speaker, she's asking me questions because we're a government in waiting, and they're an opposition. They're an opposition in waiting. There's no... Another good gag. Pretty good line. Slightly fluffed. Millions of people are facing horrendous mortgage repayments. And she's admitted it's her fault. She shouldn't have conducted an economic experiment on the British public. (laughs) But it's not just her. They put her there. They're keeping her there. Why on earth would anyone trust the Tories with the economy ever again? Notice, Mr. Speaker, he's not actually objecting to a single economic policy that the Chancellor announced on Monday. He's refusing to condemn the strikers. We're on the side of working people. We're going to legislate to make sure we keep our railways open. The honourable gentleman refuses to do anything. I mean, I suppose going on about the Labour Party and train strikes is, you know, the last refuge of someone who doesn't have much to go on. It's interesting. You can't uh, announce a whole load of policies which the opposition oppose and then you adopt the opposition's position and say, well, I notice you don't object to anything we're doing now. Uh, yeah, exactly. Particularly if your position is... I've done this because it's the fiscally responsible thing to do because the markets didn't like it. We went too hard and too fast. So we're now adopting this restrained, uh, moderate, prudent fiscal position. You can't then turn around to the Labour Party and say, well, aren't you reckless and irresponsible because you're doing exactly what we say is necessary to stabilise the economy? It it doesn't work. And there is a reason Gordon Brown in 95, 96, 97 said he would stick very close and adopt wholesale Conservative Party spending positions. When George Osborne was uh, new in the Shadow Treasury team, he did the same thing. He said, we'll follow uh, Labour spending plans word for word until the recession uh, interceded and allowed him to... uh, bring forward a, 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 new, uh, a new economic strategy, a new long-term economic plan, as he, uh, he would say. Um, 
you know, that is just smart opposition politics, even though it's going to be difficult for the Labour Party if and when they get into government. Um, but it's a very strange attack line from Liz Truss for that very reason. And just in terms of economic policy, going back a couple of questions, she said spending will go up next year and will go up the year after, which sounds like, you know, beyond that, there might be difficult decisions to come. But also, if, if the energy... I mean, part of the reason my spending is going up is because the energy package costs so much money. Yeah, exactly. You, and, and you look, and at the same time, you have Jeremy Hudden calling in the cabinet and saying you're going to have to make swinging cuts to every departmental budget. And by the way, the NHS and defence, well, defence is uh, going to go up as Liz Truss keeps assuring MPs. But Jeremy Hunt is very much telling the cabinet that NHS budgets and welfare budgets aren't necessarily ring fence. So for Liz Truss to say, don't worry, spending's going up is a little bit disingenuous considering uh, we're about to get Osbornomics 2.0 and then some. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's go back then. This is uh, this is the... Uh... What do we call the peroration? This is the moment where they both reach for their social media clip. So uh, hold on to your spines as they're about to tingle. Uh, this is PMQ's Unpacked, Matt Shorty and Patrick Maguire. We go back to the House of Commons. Question six from Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, the only mandate she's ever had is from members opposite. Yeah. It was a mandate built on fantasy economics yeah. and it ended in disaster. Yeah. The country's got nothing to show for it except the destruction of the economy and the implosion of the Tory party. I've got the list here. 45p tax cut, gone. Corporation tax cut, gone. 20p tax cut, gone. Two-year energy freeze, gone. Tax-free shopping, gone. Economic credibility, gone. And her supposed best friend, the former Chancellor, he's gone as well. They're all gone. So why is she still here? Mr Speaker. She really slapped her folder down on the dispatch box there. I am a fighter and not a quitter. Ah, a bit of uh, of Peter Bounterson. Jeremy Hunt nodding. Order. Oh. Order. I'm going to hear the Prime Minister. Lindsay I Hoyle suggest intervening. that all members need to hear the answer. Prime Minister. Telling Labour MPs to shush. Mr Speaker, I am a fighter and not a quitter. We that, have delivered that suggests that on there's the energy very much a price guarantee. We have. We've delivered on the energy price guarantee. We've delivered on national insurance. We are going to deliver to stop the militant (coughs) trade unions disrupting our railways. The honourable gentleman has no idea. He has no plan and he has no alternative. Well, that suggests Liz Truss is going to become the next uh, European commissioner. (laughs) If she's adopting the Peter Mandelson in 2001 strategy, so that's something to look forward to. Uh, our re-entry into the EU and Liz Truss's European... So explain the history of I'm a fighter, not a quitter. Well, it was in the 2001 election, Peter Mandelson had had a bit of a tough time having been uh, forced to resign from Cabinet. And then at the declaration, there'd been a lot of talk that he was going to lose Hartlepool either to the Liberal Democrats. Arthur Scargill ran against him at his declaration. He defiantly said, I am a fighter and not a quitter. It's an iconic uh, moment from the annals of New Labour that Liz Truss is... Uh, has ripped off and managed to deliver without the genuine sort of sense of uh, <laughs> a sense of anguish and uh, you know relief that Peter Mandelson uh, delivered at the time. That's sort of uh, 
Yeah, and also you, you have to, you have um, Keir Starmer quoting Rishi Sunak talking about fairy tale economics. Yeah, so yeah, it's very yeah, much it's a a, very, yeah. And there was a sort of Ben, you know, there, there was a famous uh, speech Tony Ben gave. We're getting into the weeds here, but that's what PMQ and Pats is for. Where he, uh, you know, he was on the uh, on the st- on the stage at a Labour conference in the early eighties talking about James Callaghan going, ah, oh, the renationalisation of key industries ruled out, and he went on and on and on with this long shopping list of left wing policies, and everyone sort of cheered, and that's sort of what Keir Starmer was doing there. Um, so we, we it's a real cocktail. All, of, the, all of the all of the impressions. Today. Oh, the ben, ben, is, and, ben is my favourite. You know, you talk with like a with like a mouthful of marbles, and you say, "Matt Shorey on Times Radio, it's an absolutely fantastic show, <laughs> and I'm really happy to be here." Who wants to text him with any other uh, requests for impressions? Uh, Eight seven double two. Start mentioning the word times. Uh, Robin says, "Great line from Keir Starmer: We're a government in waiting, and you're an opposition in waiting." It was a great line. It got slightly, he slightly tripped over it, and it then got slightly lost in a way that those great lines, the the sort of the uh, Tony Blair, uh, "I lead my party, he follows his." Uh, weak, was, weak, weak. He hasn't quite yet got the thing that I. Well, I don't think quite got the thing that. If were he to become prime minister, will be used in the, you know, in the montage mm. when he leaves Downing Street type 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 moment. Well, the writing is there, and that's yeah. probably because a lot of the people who were writing those lines for Tony Blair are in and around the Starmer project. But as you say, the delivery they're, they're not quite as memorable. I don't think you could fault any of the questions on paper there. I'd imagine you read it back in Hansard, and they'll seem like zingers. But you listen to them, and look, let's not be uh, let's not be churlish here. Keir Starmer has improved immensely as a parliamentary yeah. performer in the past two years. And Liz Truss definitely flatters him because that is not her strong suit either. But I think you're right to say he lacks, perhaps, he still struggles to get into fifth gear and really own a moment. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're great uh, knockabout lines as well. Uh, yeah, and I mean, that, that bit, bit right at the beginning about the book out, the book uh, about Liz Truss, Out by Christmas. Is that the publication date or the, or the title? You know, that's a great line. But not quite enough. To... Not quite there. And also, you know, I always think back to the to the sort of slightly odd session of PMQs where Keir Starmer was talking about Love Island, and that's something Tony Blair always was able to do really well. Remember, he had that uh, had that session of PMQs where he told William Hay, "You are the weakest link. Goodbye." Uh, and it was doing sort of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire style riffs on the quiz shows of the day. Um, and you know, K- Tony Blair could do that. Can Keir Starmer? I don't know, but I mean, maybe that's not what maybe that's not what people want from Keir Starmer at this time of economic uncertainty. Exactly, just a bit of steadiness is uh, is probably sufficient. Uh, right, uh, well, because uh, a little bit earlier than we do normally, just because they really rattled through that uh, session of PMQs. Uh, let's go to the House of Commons now. It's what everyone's here for, really. Uh, it's Ian Blackford, uh, Mr. Speaker. After ten new terms in two weeks. We're left with a Prime Minister in office, but not in power. And families are paying through the teeth for her mistakes. Her latest broken promise has put pensioners in the front line of Tory cuts. So can the Prime Minister perhaps turn to her Chancellor right now, get permission to make another U-turn and commit to raising the state pension at the rate of inflation? Prime Minister... I honestly don't know what the honourable gentleman is talking about because we have been clear in our manifesto that we will maintain the triple lock and I am completely committed to it. So is the Chancellor. Well, that's news. 
Not some actual real-life news there. Only, what, a couple of hours ago, we had Steve Double, Tory MP, on, uh, calling for Liz Truss to consider her position, but also calling for the pensions lock to continue. Uh, Liz Truss, apparently, uh, unaware that there was ever a question about that. Uh, yes, exactly, despite the fact the briefings have come from the Number 10 and the Treasury on that question. And it raises a really interesting and potentially uh, insoluble problem for the Chancellor, who is looking at everything on the metaphorical table in terms of budget cuts. If benefits are now, sorry, pensions are now going to rise in line with inflation, that's what the triple lot means, they're going to rise by at least 10%. What are they going to do about benefits lining with, uh, rising with inflation, if not wages, which are at 5.4% average wages? Because lots of Tory MPs think the rule should hold for both. There were threats of a rebellion last week. That hasn't gone away. So, again, that he, she just made Jeremy Hunt's job on Halloween much, much harder. And we know, you know, Penny Morton, uh, when she came on this show and said uh, pe- uh, benefits should rise in line with inflation, Steve Double was saying that both should happen. Um, it, it, on each one of these things, you end up in a situation where Jeremy Hunt's not going to have any room for manoeuvre at all because you're going to mount a case for everything. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. Um, and every Tory MP... They're now emboldened yeah. by the political disarray. Because they know that on 45p, on now on the pension triple lock, presumably on benefits, they can force them over on anything. Yeah, that majority of 80 is no majority at all. But Jeremy Hunt at the same time is saying to them, listen, everything has to be on the table because look at what happened to the markets, look at what's happening to the polls. So it's going to be a really high-stakes game of chicken for the pair of them. Uh, absolutely, yeah. And uh, there's about, what, only 10 days to try and get all that to, uh, all that to add up. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. And we bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcasts from. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.